So there was an article in Forbes magazine not too long ago that says, how do you put, very similar to that video there, how do you put a price on motherhood? And they say they kind of broke it down into the motherly duties, daycare center teacher, CEO, psychologist, cook, housekeeper, laundry machine operator, computer operator, facilities manager, janitor, and van driver. And they studied how many hours that moms would put into all those different areas of life in these categories. And they said, um, this is what they came up with. So the average stay-at-home mom should make an annual salary of 112962 based on a 40, hour, uh, 40 hours per week plus uh, uh, 54.7 hours a week of overtime. Does that sound pretty good, 112? That'd be nice, wouldn't it? Six figures. And then the average working mom should make an annual, this is working mom, should make an annual salary of 66000 based on 40 hours of mothering duties and 17.9 of overtime hours per per week. But can you really put a price on that? You really can't. So we hope we've encouraged mothers today with that. I want to tell you an interesting story. A lady named Mary Thomas was a single mom, and uh, she had nine kids. And out of those nine kids, seven of those were boys, and those boys gave her a rough time. You can imagine a single mom. And she was trying to corral them constantly and it was it was a tough job she was always trying uh, they were always trying those seven boys and she had two girls as well but those seven boys really tried their mother's patience and uh, she lived on Chicago's very very tough rough west side neighborhood and uh, one day she heard a knock at the door and she went out and on her stoop of her house were 25 of what was known as the vice lords which was one of the top uh, gangs in the Chicago's tough west side, and they said, we're here to recruit your sons. That's kind of a scary thought, isn't it? She says, uh, hold on just a minute, and she shut her door. Then she went and back and opened that door with a loaded shotgun, <laughs> and she said, there's only one gang here, and it's the Thomas gang, so just get on out of here, and they all left. And she somehow got all nine of those kids to graduate from high school. And one of those, her youngest, who was her youngest son, was Isaiah Thomas, the basketball player. Pretty impressive, huh? So you never know. Now when I think about that, I think about that's an inspiring story, knowing just that a single mom raised nine kids by herself, seven of those boys in that kind of environment, that kind of culture, very difficult. Um, But uh, I kind of think about... uh, how did you do that? You know, this is the culture, this is the environment that you were in. And she didn't get in and just say, well, what do you do? You know, they're eventually going to be in a gang. What am I going to do? I'm just trying to, to just stay above water here with all these kids and all this situation. Um, what if she just says, hey, they all just have to become members of the Vice Lord's gang? Who would have blamed her? She was against some odds that you'd think, gosh, how do you even survive in that kind of environment? But she fought for her kids. And a lot of you moms that are here today know what it means to fight for your kids, don't you? We don't really understand that from a kid's perspective. My mom's here today, and I really will never, ever understand that. Guys, we will never understand what it is to have a baby, ever. Ever, that's right. We will never understand that. We've watched a lot of our kids be born, and it's like, man, glad that's not me. You know? I mean, I thought if, if guys had to have babies, there would be about a quarter of us here, you know? We just, we just wouldn't go through with that. So, you know, it's, it's an amazing thing. 
But I think about, um, I want us this morning to think about how, how often, you know, moms do for the kids, and we don't really understand it. We have moments where, you know, that one girl at the end, that was very emotional. She's like, no, no, that's crazy. And then all of a sudden, oh my gosh, my mom, she did that for me. That is true. All those things that I'm saying, no, 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 she did that for me. It, it's amazing. But I, I just think about, against difficult odds, what would you do for your kids? And one of my favorite moms in the Bible is, is a mom that Jesus encountered one day, and she specifically came uh, to Jesus to ask for his help on something, and it was a very tough ask for her. It's always hard, isn't it, for most of us to ask for help with things because we like to be self-sufficient. I can do it myself. I don't need anybody's help, so it's very difficult for us to ask for help. But she's having to go and ask Jesus specifically for help with one of her kids, and she may have had more, but this specific one. And this was hard for her because... She was not Jewish, uh, coming off my sermon series recently. A lot of y'all been here. We've been talking about how the Gentiles, who were non-Jewish people, and the Jews kind of butted heads a lot in that culture. And, you know, the Jews says, hey, we're a notch above all of y'all. And they felt like they were always looked down upon. And so she knows she's having to go to a Jewish rabbi and ask for help among a lot of Jewish people. And they're going to be going, what are you asking for help for? She's going into this. But the situation she has is so desperate, she does not care. So we're going to look at Matthew, the 15th chapter this morning. Hopefully it's going to be up on the screen, and we're going to start in verse 21. It's also in the um, uh, Gospel of Mark as well, but we're going to look at Matthew's uh, account of this this morning, starting in verse 20. Matthew 15, verse 21. So leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and a Canaanite woman from the vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away for she keeps crying out after us. And he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. Now, a lot of y'all may have heard this story before. It's one of my favorites because I just think about how desperate this mom was. Again, she is a Canaanite. If you go all the way back to the Old Testament, the Canaanites were the ones that the Israelites were always fighting. If you think about even today, if you could go back and trace those Canaanites to what's going on over in the Middle East right now, it's still happening. Those still groups are still going against each other after all this time. So they know there's this tension between the two groups, and she's coming to, again, a Jewish rabbi asking for a miracle, and the people around her are going, what does this lady think she's doing? And she doesn't seem to care. And Jesus comes off, quite honestly, seemingly insensitive, doesn't he? But she's coming. Now, I don't think any of us here really truly understand what it is to have a child that's demon-possessed. You may think you know what it is to have a child that's demon-possessed. But I don't think we really understand that. And there was obvious a lot of this um, that we read about in the Bible. And you just go, what, what, what was the environment there? And it was obvious. She knew that her daughter was possessed. And this woman didn't have a, a group of, of gang members come and knock on her door and say, hey, we're here to recruit your daughter. 
an evil spirit just entered and possessed her daughter one day. We don't know how that happened. And I know for some of you are going, this is getting weird. I'm ready to go right now. But it's just, this is what it was. And can you imagine knowing that this is not your daughter? She's not in her right mind. She's not acting right. She's not thinking right. She's not doing anything right. I know she has to be possessed. I've seen this before, and this is what it's got to be. Maybe even some rabbi says, she's possessed by a demon. I don't know what to do. Because we see in the Gospels that there were times where people just didn't know what to do. They just ran from it. But she goes, no, I know my daughter, and this is not her. I want something done, and I've heard Jesus can do this, so I'm going to him. And I know I'm not supposed to approach a man in public. I know a, Samar- I mean a Canaanite woman, a Gentile, is not supposed to approach, approach a Jewish man in public, but I'm going to take my chances. I know that probably all of the Jewish people, his disciples that see this, are going to go, what does she think she's doing? And they didn't disappoint us, did they? They go, God, you know, Jesus, you want us to just uh, send her away? She keeps yelling after us. So she's having all these cultural and social things that she's scared to even go to Jesus because I don't care. I want to see my daughter healed. I'll do anything. And she goes and she says, Jesus, and y'all know after every time she says something, there is an exclamation point. Why is that? She's yelling at Jesus. This is serious. Please, son of David, heal my daughter. And it said that Jesus doesn't say anything. And then the sensitive disciples, they didn't quite get that multiplication thing yet, did they? And they said, she keeps yelling after her because since Jesus didn't say anything, he wants to just send her away. Just send her away. Let's not be bothered with that. This demon possession. And and I, I find that odd because the disciples had seen Jesus cast out demons before. So he they know that he can do this. Why is it that they just want to push her away? Is it some of that tension again in the back of my mind that that person, because they're of that race or that whatever different from me they don't deserve that there was a little that and jesus picks up on this so he doesn't stay silent finally he just says i was sent only to the lost sheep of israel what does that mean well jesus is explaining i was sent first and foremost my priority was to go to my own people and present them with the good news of the gospel tell them that i am the messiah that is to come and that's true that's who jesus was but why would you say that to her She's so desperate. Why would you say, I was only supposed to come to my own people? Why are you asking me this? Now, we don't know exactly how it sounded because we weren't there. But how did Jesus say that? And I think we know from kind of stepping back and looking at, at, at this passage that Jesus was saying, I'm trying to see where she is spiritually. I'm trying to see where she is in her faith. So I'm going to ask some hard questions of her and see how she responds. And so he does. And then she immediately, when he says, I was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel, she says, Lord, help me! Exclamation point. I'm very aware of that. Do you know how hard it was for me to leave my demon-possessed daughter and to come here? Doesn't say she's with her. How do you try to find a babysitter with that one? Now, we're laughing, but seriously, somebody had to watch her while she's going to get Jesus. I mean... But she's saying, I understand the culture, Jesus, very well. I understand that. You don't know how difficult it is for me to approach you in the middle of the day, a woman to a man, uh, uh, a Gentile woman to a Jewish man. This is very difficult for me. I just need your help. Can you just help me? Surely you understand that. I've heard all these things about you. And Jesus seems so insensitive, at best and cruel at worst, It's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. I feel better about myself now. She's referring to her and her kids as dogs. Isn't that what it seems like? 
but she doesn't bat an eye. Yes, it is, Lord. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. She doesn't hesitate. And what is she saying, y'all? I don't care. I will take anything I can get at this point because I want my daughter healed. I'll take the crumbs. I'll take whatever it is. I'll take the hand. Whatever. I understand the cultural situation, Jesus. I understand it. And Jesus says... This time, with an exclamation point, woman, you have great faith, your request is granted. And this is one of the two times, at least two times in the Bible, that Jesus heals from long distance. And guess what, y'all? In both occasions, it was a Gentile person. And in both occasions, Jesus commended them on their faith. You have greater faith than the ones that I was sent to prioritize, my own people. Isn't that interesting? The very people that Jesus was sent to, first and foremost, didn't believe him. But the people that knew that they felt and had always been told they were a notch below, they had a faith in him that even Jesus' own people didn't. That's amazing when you think about that. But this mom is saying, I will do whatever I need to do to get my child healed. And I don't think Jesus was being cruel. I think that was more. That question and insensitivity, seemingly insensitivity, was for all the people that were watching. Why is is he doing that for a Gentile? Why is he responding to this woman when she's embarrassing him in public? Jesus is not embarrassed. She doesn't seem to be embarrassed. There was no help or cooperation from his disciples. They're just going, hey, you want us to get her out of here? But it's very interesting to me that this deep faith that she has, Jesus commends her for that, even though he said all these things. Yeah, I know it's supposed to be for the Jews first. I know it's not right to take his... She understands. Hey, they've got all the bread. They've got you all the time. They're hearing you day in and day out, but I'll take the scraps. His mission was to first to Israel, but Jesus is starting to show that his power and healing is to the Gentiles as well. And then in what we've been studying in Acts, we see that that actually came to fruition after his resurrection. So Jesus knows that he's not going to offend her because she's looking for healing. So this morning, I would like to ask you this question. There's probably many moms who have gone through maybe something similar to this where your kid was in a situation and you were desperate and you did some crazy things, haven't you? You may have talked to a doctor in a way that was not the most pleasant. You may have talked to a school teacher the way that wasn't most pleasant or a coach or to a neighbor, whatever, because you're trying to make the best of whatever situation it is. But I wonder... For us, how would we respond if Jesus doesn't answer us right away? You remember when she first said something, he just doesn't say anything. And how would we respond if Jesus says, hey, it takes, he takes his time and says, hey, that's just the way it is in your situation. What if he tells you there are other priorities ahead of you, other people ahead of you when you're asking for his help? What if he referred to you and your kids as dogs? How would you respond to that? Would you be offended and just go, well, just forget the whole thing then. I'll find somebody else. But this woman doesn't let any of that rattle her. She just wants her daughter healed, and she knows that Jesus has the power. If he can hear her story, he, she believes with all of her heart that he will respond, and he did. She did not care about social and cultural issues in order to save her daughter. Let me say that again. She didn't really care about the social and cultural issues in order to save her daughter, did she? 
I don't care what I look like socially. I don't care what I look like culturally. It doesn't matter to me. I want my daughter healed. If I look stupid, if I look disrespectful, if, I look, if I'm doing something that's wrong socially, I do not care. I want this man to heal my daughter. And Jesus did. But here's something I want to challenge you. Now, moms, I've encouraged you this morning, right? But I want you to hear something I want to challenge you with. She wasn't worried about the social, socially or culturally what happened to her. But in our culture, y'all, this is almost reversed. What are you saying? There are spiritual issues that are affecting our kids today. And I would say even possessing our kids today or have the potential to possess our kids but we ignore these issues or we're oblivious to them because socially and culturally they seem to be cool to do these things. Y'all see where I'm going? It's popular and many of us are possessed by the same demon. And you're not going to like this, but it's called social media. That's ridiculous, man. What are you saying? I'm a possessed by a demon because I do social media? That's ridiculous, Craig. Is it ridiculous? Because you know what? This is the question. As We are blind to that potential demon, and so it continues to possess not only our kids' time and attention, but our time and attention. I'm guilty too, y'all. And it, in, incessantly making us socially and spiritually weak and ineffective. And moms, your child's spiritual life should be the first priority in their life, not their social and cultural life. I know that's hard to say, but I'm guilty too, y'all. I overheard something on my daughter's phone the other day, and I just was like, what in the world? Who gave her that phone? Who gave her that time on the phone? Oh, it's not that big of a deal, but I am concerned, y'all, and I think it's something we need to think about. Our child's spiritual life should be a first priority not their social life. Not that that's not important. The first thing they need is God's word to guide them and raise them. Not a smartphone or Snapchat or Instagram. But unfortunately, that's what's raising a lot of our kids. They're getting answers about social and cultural things, not from God's word, but about what coolest person has just posted on their social media. Now, we can nod our head and say, yeah, you're right, Quig, or you're a jerk, I'm not coming back. <laughs> but the thing is, we need to think about that and make sure. Now, look, I know there's a lot of good things that happen on social media as well, right? I've got the Bible app. It's awesome. There's so many amazing things that one church decided to do that, and because of what that church decided to do on social media, it has literally changed the world and given people the opportunity to read the Bible, in some cases that have never read it before. So good things can come from it, but we've got to be able to monitor that. Um, Y'all ever heard of the guy named John Wesley? Ever been in the Methodist church? Pretty important guy. Do you know that his mom had 19 children? 19 children. And she was an amazing lady, and as a young man, he asked his mom, can you give me a definition of what sin is? If your kid asked you today, what is sin, what would you tell them? You'd have to kind of think about that for a minute, wouldn't you? You know, trying to process that. But listen to what she wrote him in a letter. 
Take this rule. Whatever weakens your reason, impairs the tenderness of your conscience, obscures your sense of God, or takes off your relish of spiritual things. In short, whatever increases the strength and authority of your body over your mind, that thing is sin to you, however innocent it may be in and of itself. That's pretty good. I'm going to read that again. Think about this. Whatever weakens your reason, impairs the tenderness of your conscience, obscures your sense of God, or takes off your relish of spiritual things. In short, whatever increases the strength and authority of your body over your mind, that thing is sin to you, however innocent it may be in and of itself. How true is that? You think that definition of sin had an impact on Mr. Wesley? Do you know at the end of his life, he had preached over 40,000 sermons? When he was in his 80s, he was mad at his doctor because his doctor said, I don't want you preaching but 14 times a week. He wanted to tell people, this thing called sin, there's all these things out there, but God has transformed us. He wanted them to know about the gospel of Christ, even at 80 years old, this definition. So moms, not to come down on you, but to encourage you and challenge you that we need to know what our kids know and where they're getting their information, and they need to get it from God's Word. And maybe that's something, you know, that's something you've got to figure out. I've got to figure it out. Me and Melanie got to figure that out with our kids. I'm not saying we're taking the phones up. I'm not saying that. I'll be mad at the preacher. Take the phones up today. But it's not a bad idea to have some balance. And we need to have balance, and we need to know. Famous preacher E.V. Hill, who pastored at Mount Zion Missionary Baptist Church in Los Angeles for a long time, tells uh, a story, I want to close with this today, about mama's love. During the height of the Depression, his real mom, because things were so desperately bad, she had five kids, and so she gave um, E.V. Hill to a friend and said, please take this kid, I can't, I can't take on five. If you'll take him and raise him, I'd be eternally grateful to you. So he said he just called her mama. He went to live with her. And as he grew up in sweet home, a mama displayed this remarkable faith that he saw constantly. And he saw her praying all the time. And she knew that she had very, very big plans for his life that he didn't even have for himself. But she said that um, against nearly insurmountable obstacles, mama helped Ed graduate from high school. He was the only student to graduate from high school uh, that particular year in that country school, and even insisted that she wanted him to go to college. So she took him to the bus station, handed him the ticket and $5, and says, now I want you to go off to Prairie View College, and Mama will continue to pray for you. So he said, I got on that bus, I ended up at this school, uh, Prairie View College, and he arrived, he said, I had a dollar and ninety cents left out of that $5. And here's how he describes what happens next as he got into the tuition line. I got in line, and the devil said, get out of line. But I heard my mama saying in my ear, I'll be praying for you. I stood in line on mama's prayer. Soon there was another student ahead of me, and I began to get nervous, but I just stayed in line. About the time the other student got all her stuff and turned away, I had heard that it was going to be $80 for tuition. I had $1.90. Just as I was getting ready to walk up, because it was my turn in line, he says, um, Dr. Drew, one of the professors, touched me on the shoulder and says, Are you Ed Hill? He says, Yes. Are you Ed Hill from Sweet Home? Yes. Have you paid yet? Uh, not quite. 
well, we've been looking for you all morning. And I said, well, what, what, what do you need with me? He says, we have a four-year scholarship that will pay your room and board, your tuition, and give you $30 a month to spend. And I heard Mama say, I will be praying for you. And he went on to be an amazing, amazing preacher. I got to hear him years ago at a conference. And I think he was maybe in his 80s, and he was still amazing. But moms, the most important thing you can do for your kid is pray for them. Knowing that you can't control everything. You know that. You try to, but you can't. But you can pray and say, Jesus, I need your help. I can't do it alone. I can't do it by myself, and I need your help. So um, this morning, I want to share just one more thing as, as I close this morning. Um, a lady named Amy Young said this, and I want this to be um, something that I hope encourages you and reminds you of how many different kind of women are thinking about this day. She says this, To those who gave birth this year to their first child, we celebrate with you. To those who lost a child this year, we mourn with you. To those who are in the trenches with little ones every day and wear the badge of food stains, we appreciate you. To those who experienced the loss this year through miscarriage, failed adoptions, or running away, we mourn with you. To those who walk the hard path of infertility, fraught with popes, prods, tears, and disappointment, we walk with you. Forgive us when we say foolish things. We don't mean to make it harder than it is. To those who were foster moms, mentor moms, and spiritual moms, we need you. To those who have warm and close relationships with your children, we celebrate with you. To those who have disappointment, heartache, and distance with your children, we sit with you. To those who lost their mothers this year, we grieve with you. To those who experienced abuse at the hands of your own mother, we acknowledge that experience, and it was not your fault. To those whose mothers have experienced abuse at the hands of your own children, we grieve your experience and say to you also, it's not your fault. To those who live through driving tests, medical tests, and the overall testing of motherhood, we are better, we are better for having you in our midst. To those who will have empty nesters in the upcoming year, we grieve and rejoice with you. And to those who are pregnant with new life, both expected and surprising, we anticipate with you. This Mother's Day, we walk with you. Mothering is not for the faint of heart. And we have real warriors in our midst. We remember you. We honor you. We ask God's blessing on you. And we pray that you will walk humbly with your God. Pretty impressive, isn't it? She kind of encompasses all of those. And that's what the church needs to be to all moms, a place where we can understand they're all over the place. In different seasons of your mothering, there's going to be things where you're going to need people and you're going to need your God. And he knows that. He knows that better than any of us do. And that's why I believe that he helped that lady in that story that we read today in Matthew's account. He knew what she was going through. He wanted to see her faith. He wanted to see that. But he did help her and hear her. And God wants to do that for us. So this morning, God, y'all understand, God has the attributes of a mother. Yes, we know of him as a father, but he absolutely created us to have a mother and a father. There was a reason for that. Moms are wired differently. Dads are wired differently. And God wants us to have both of that. And we need that. Kids need that. But today, our Father is saying, maybe you need to come home. Maybe you need to um, recognize that I'm the one that gave you your mom, that gave you life. And maybe you need to make that decision today. Name Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And we give you that opportunity today. We're getting ready to go into a time of communion together. But we're gonna, I'm going to ask the band to come on up. And uh, we're going to sing a song. And if you have a decision today, I'll walk you through that process 
of coming to know the Lord, being baptized into Him. Maybe somebody's looking for a church home where we acknowledge that we need God's Word in our life to help us through all these different situations.